Chapter 14 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth, by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 14. The Hand-to-Hand Tussle. Arkansas and Three Fingers. Escape of the American. The Arroyo Deserted. Rang, blang, blang, went the reply fire, while a chorus of hostile cries rent the smoke. Joaquin's first barrel sent its missile close to the oncoming Arkansas, but it slew not him, but the Yankee whose place the bolder man had assumed. The chief received a wound on the left shoulder, which a side turn in his saddle had only kept from his throat. All were mingled in a general confusion. Five of Joaquin's men had lost their seats, never to move again. Two of the opponents, beside the speculative, deposed leader, had fallen under the combatants' feet like them, but all the wounded were fighting on. The Americans, who suffered the most from pistol shots, did all they could to close in, and butt-ends of firearms and knives were principally employed. Through the medley of oaths, groans, shouts, and detonations were to be heard the voices of the leaders, encouraging and urging them on, while fighting themselves most vigorously, the Mexican like a puma, the other like a grizzly. Wounded and bleeding, but as brave and bold as ever, Murieta ran his horse hither and thither through the tangled mass, and showed himself everywhere at the points where the result was wavering, deciding victory often by his simple coming. The attacking party fought a little despairingly now. For a moment they had held the advantage over their antagonists, and they would have kept it, only for the unseen devil that seemed to continually attend the bandit chief, and overcome his foeman's courage and vigor. After having emptied his revolver on the enemy, Three-Fingered Jack had flung the weapon into the nearest face, and with his usual ferocity, had begun plunging about with his poignard right and left, and before him, so blindly that at times he had wounded his own comrades and their horses. When Joaquin, having unhorsed one of the most prominent of the assailants, could survey the scene of action more calmly, he saw that nine of his men were doubtlessly the same number of trodden corpses that strewed the ground. All the others except one were sleeping in death beside them. The sole survivor, of whom we speak, was the robust giant Arkansas, who was stoutly giving three-fingered Jack all he wanted, each with a knife in hand. The first, no doubt having had great experience in the steel, was indeed raining more stabs and cuts than he had to parry, which contributed not a little towards augmenting the range of Garcia. Joaquin and the rest of the band, except such as had wounds to staunch, glad of a rest and treat at the same time, sat their horses, tranquil spectators of the struggle, confident as they were of the issue from their knowledge of their comrades' powers and address. Now reining in, now letting slip, now wheeling, then lifting their foam-flecked horses, whose jaws ran blood in their neck and foreshoulders as well from misdirected blows, the two champions crashed their blades triflingly, so as to say waiting to deal the mortal finishing stroke. "'You just give fair play a little longer,' muttered Arkansas. "'That's all.' Jack swore all the time and roared a tremendous execration at length when he fancied that he had got the opening that he so much desired. He gave a short, quick thrust, as if he had held a sword— drew back, changed his grasp on the bloody handle, and delivered a dreadful downward darting of his knife, which, splendidly warded off by the bowie, which made the thinner stiletto band, ripped up the thigh of Arkansas. On this cruel wound, and feeling that indescribable sensation of hot blood scalding the gash it boils through, the latter so dexterously glided his arm under the others, that the broad blade, prevented from penetrating the eye by a miracle, laid bare the top of the Mexican's cheekbone, and left a clean cut from there down the cheek to the very edge of the lower jawbone. Had the mouth been open, the cheek would have been perforated. Garcia, whose set teeth ground in agony at this awful pain when the bone was scraped, all but yelled and swayed in the saddle. 
His horse fell back, just as Arkansas made a second sweeping stroke. The Mexicans, alarmed, hastened to the succor of their comrade, but he, recovering himself, forced them to stand off with horrid imprecations. They obeyed, but it was plainly to be seen that they were eager to finish the American if he continued to conquer. Arkansas felt clearly that, do his utmost, yet he could gain nothing by continuing to fight. So, only waiting to catch one of Jack's stabs on his left arm and to make a return, he lifted his horse round on its hind legs and pricked him into a flight swift as lightning. His savage antagonist, as well as Joaquin, followed him at a distance. For five miles the chase went on, Joaquin remaining a little behind Garcia, who nearly touched the fugitive every time he made a burst. Thus forcing the pace, he often got so near that he lifted his dagger, but at that instant the American would compel his steed to make a spurt, and down would drop the steel powerless. Jack swore continually and louder and loudly as he felt his mount failing him. The chief, who had taken much out of his charger by his plunging about the battlefield, was dropped behind considerably, and, when he had been within pistol range, three-fingered Jack's motions in the saddle had prevented him from risking a shot. Jack had no firearms. Arkansas showed himself to be a consummate rough rider, and he had that art, little cultivated, of conversing with his horse as though he were a man. He would tell him of the impediments in the way, of the nature of the ground, of the state of the pursuing party, promise him food and profusion, laugh to him, chide him, pat him, smooth his mane, and whisper hopeful words in his turn-back ears, to which he was bowed forward. Whether it affected the animal or not, it at least pleases the rider. "'Good old nag,' said Arkansas at length, after a glance over his shoulder. "'They're nowhere, my boy.' He laughed, and the horse stretched out in a greyhound's leap, as if new powers had been given him. In fact, convinced that, from some cause or other, the fugitive was getting more out of his horse than they out of theirs— which might be foundered if the chase was prolonged, Joaquin called off his hound, and the two baffled bandits walked their horses back to their confederates. The wounded were still there, under care of some of their comrades, who understood a little of the healing art. Fernando Fontes and another had received such wounds that they lingered on only till the morrow, their deaths bringing the whole loss to eleven. The chief, though he was not hurt in a very serious manner, had lost much blood, and he was obliged to keep quiet for several days and receive such attention as were lavished upon him by his loving Clarina. Antonio and Guerra, no less lucky than their commander, found in the tender solicitude of their inamoratas relief to their sufferings. Hence, these three were set afield anew at the time when their less favored companions were just coming round. Murieta could not help feeling some uneasiness at the recollection of the sturdy survivor of the American party. He reproached himself for ever having given him the chance to make off, when a dozen bullets might have been bestowed upon him during his conflict with Three-Fingered Jack. A fortnight had already elapsed since the bloody skirmish, and, if the escaped man had not died of his wounds, there was everything to lead one to believe that he would raise a body of adventurers, there being many hangers-on about the diggings, who would ask nothing better than such sport. At all events, the story he had to tell would have its effect on the various bands resting on their arms, which were ready to rise against the ravagers at the first report of his whereabouts. Arkansas would probably offer himself as a guide to such. In the dread of such an event, Joaquin resolved to abandon for the present at least, the asylum on which he had set his choice. By this means, he thought to deceive the seekers, who, on arriving and finding the valley untenanted, would imagine that the bandit had retired into Mexico, or else they would divide into smaller detachments in their scouting, when each of them might be attracted into defiles and passes in the mountains, and there destroyed, at the cost, to his hidden, securely posted men, of scarcely one. In this design, everything was got ready for the departure. The horses, which amounted to several hundreds, were formed into manageable droves and started for Mexico under guard of four of the best vaqueros of the band. The tents were taken down and packed upon the mules, as well as everything around the camping ground which could be of any use. 
The women attired themselves in their masculine traveling habits and prepared bravely and gaily to cross highlands and low, dark gorges and sunlit peaks. There were not only privations and fatigues to be resisted, but at any moment from the craggy wall at whose foot they trailed along might spring out or roll down the treacherous American lion or the grizzly bear. Those of the wounded in that late encounter where the followed Americans had sold their lives dearly, who had not yet been restored to strength, were placed on the easiest goers in the cavalcade, which had been previously used by the women. The patient being seated on comfortable Mexican saddles, as large almost as an elephant's howdah, were for the more precaution attached to them by straps and a free rider leading them. Thus the robbers streamed out of the valley, a long line of a hundred and six men and nine females. It was not without regret that farewell was said to the magnificent retreat, so wild and desolate looking of a sudden, which had lately been witness of their rejoicings, pleasures, and repose. At the head of the column rode Joaquin, surrounded like a Napoleon of marauders, by his marshals, by his lieutenants. His handsome features wore an expression of sadness and gravity as he explained to his companions the reasons which had led him to quit Arroyo Cantuva, a kind of another unconsumed Moscow. End of chapter 14